Is Jesus God? Find out today on Changed by Grace. Welcome to Changed by Grace. I'm Pastor Steve Herford. John 1.1 says, And the Word was God. Who is this Word? Well, according to verse 14, it's Jesus. Jesus is the God-man who came into this world for the purpose of saving His people from their sins. Let's learn more about Him today as we study together from God's Word. In the incarnation of Christ, we saw that Jesus was the God-man. And as a man, He possessed all the characteristics of a man. For example, He was born. He grew physically and mentally. He became wearied, thirsty, angry, hungry. He slept. He became sad. He was tempted. He suffered. And he died. And of course the story for us is is that he also resurrected. Which is something no man would have the power in himself to do. In our study of the offices of Christ. We said that Jesus is presented in scripture as prophet, priest, and king. He's presented as all three. Well this morning I want us to see that not only is he prophet, priest, and king. But he is also undiminished deity. He is God in human flesh. In the incarnation, we saw him becoming man. It says in John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. But this morning, I want us to see that he's always been God. There's never been a time when he ceased being God. When he became man, he didn't at that point cease being God. He was now the God-man. There's a phrase in Philippians 2.6, and B.B. Uh, Warfield has this to say. And the phrase is that Christ existed in the form of God. Warfield says, he is declared in the most express manner possible to be all that God is, to possess the whole fullness of attributes which make God, God. And that's what we're going to see this morning as we look into this subject this morning. Colossians 2.9 tells us, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And again, those are truths that we're going to look at today as we look at this subject of the deity of Christ. Now, throughout history, men have made some very insightful statements about Jesus, some of them by men that, that you, would not, you would not agree with in history, like, for example, Napoleon Bonaparte. He lived from 1769 to 1821, he was a French military and political leader. He made a huge impact on Europe during his lifetime. But notice something that he said about Christ. I find it very interesting. He said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. That resemblance does not exist. Everything in Christ astonishes me. His spirit overawes me and his will confounds me. He is truly a being by himself. His ideas and sentiments, the truth which he announces, his manner of convincing are not explained either by human organization Or by the nature of things. The nearer I approach. The more carefully I examine. Everything above me. Everything remains grand. Of a grandeur which overpowers. 
one can absolutely find nowhere but in him alone the imitation or the example of his life. I search in vain in history to find the similar to Jesus Christ. Neither history nor humanity nor the ages nor nor nature offer me anything with which I am able to compare it or explain it. Here, everything is extraordinary. Now, that was said by a pagan, said by an unbeliever. And another man that made an impact on Europe made a very interesting statement about Christ, and his name we're all familiar with. His name is C.S. Lewis. And in his book, Mere Christianity, he said this. He said, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I agree with that. And as we consider this subject of the deity of Christ this morning, we need to understand, first of all, before we approach the subject, that this Truth, this teaching, this acceptance of the deity of Christ is necessary to salvation. This is what marks us different than any religion. In fact, many, and I agree that Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with the God of the universe. But as we examine the God of the Bible, as we examine the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, the statements that he made, the statements that others have made about him, we need to understand this, that in his own words, that he said that the acceptance of his deity will determine whether you're a Christian or not. Listen to what he said. In fact, if you want to look at it, you can either look on the screen or look in your Bible, John eight twenty four. He said to the Jews, he said, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins for unless you believe I am. You will die in your sins. Now, you may have, and it says it up on the screen as well, you believe that I am he. He is in italics that has been supplied by the translators. It's not in the original text. What is he claiming here? He is saying that he is the I am. If you're familiar with scripture and the teachings of the I am, that's reflected of Exodus 3.14, where God tells Moses his name, and he says, my name is I am. And Jesus here is taking that very name. And we know he's taking that very name because he uses it seven times in the Gospel of John. And we hear him even over in the same chapter that you're in. If you'll just look down at verse 58... He says it again, and the Jews understood what he meant each time he said it, because we'll notice their response. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. If you look down at verse 59, it says they picked up stones to throw at him, 
But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They understood exactly what he was saying. He was claiming equality with God. He's not saying, I'm another God. I am God. And as C.S. Lewis has quickly pointed out, for someone to make that claim, he is either Lord or he is a lunatic. In fact, today if somebody comes forward and says something like that, we say, you're a lunatic. You're a weirdo. You've lost your mind. You're you're demon-possessed. Well, I mean, we'll say anything. Because we know that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus came. Jesus was crucified on the cross. He resurrected on the third day. Right now, he is at the right hand of the Father. He is interceding for all believers. We know, according to Revelation 1-7, he is coming back. He's coming back for his church. He is the I Am. So as we approach this subject this morning, I want you to understand the warning. If you choose not to accept the deity of Christ, realize this, you cannot be saved. If you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Jesus' very own words. Those are not my words. Those are not the words of John who penned the words of Christ. These are Jesus' words himself. He heard Jesus say this and through the Holy Spirit he penned this. So again, heed the warning. Now, there are many ways to approach this subject, and you and I know that we have covered this subject in detail in so many fashions, and especially in our study of the Gospel of John, we dealt with it in the very first verse of John 1.1. And throughout the Gospel of John, we have been dealing with this subject of who Jesus is, because that is John's thesis. John is presenting Jesus as God. This Gospel is so different than the other three. And we note that comparison with the other three. It picks up events in the life of Christ, but it skims over many of them that the other Gospels give us details about. And why does it do that? It's because each Gospel is presenting something about Jesus. And here John is presenting the truth that Jesus Christ is God. Now, I don't want to just leave you with that, but I want to give you some things to look at. And this morning we're going to look at four things. Four things that will... Give us, from Scripture, the understanding that Jesus Christ is God. And the first one I want you to see is found in John chapter 1 and verse 3. And we see that Jesus performed divine activities. He performed divine activities. If you look at his life, you look at the things that he did, not just the things that he said, but look at what he did. Look at the acts that he was able to produce. Miracles. Things that no one could produce. And let's look and see what those things are. And the very first one is, in John 1, 3, is that he created. He created. And just beginning at verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, how do we know that this is talking about Jesus? If you go to verse 14... It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And you just continue to study the context. You know that he's talking about Jesus Christ. He is the word made flesh. He is the word that God spoke in the Old Testament. And he says that he was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. Through who? Through Jesus, through the word. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. 
He says there that all things, that's one word in Greek, and it means the infinite details of creation. Every single minute detail says came into being through him. And now that word is talking about each thing separately rather than just looking at the whole. Every single detail. If you're out walking in your yard or you're raking your yard or you're working in the yard, you ever go off into space land like I do and you just begin to look at everything and you go, wow, look at the details of every single thing that exists. Every single thing that exists. They've just now discovered a few more species that they had, didn't know existed. I don't know if you read about that just recently. But God knew that because he created them. And every single detail of creation he created. And it says right here in John 1, 3 that Jesus created them. All things, every single detail came into being through him. The idea of coming into being, it implies a creative act. It doesn't imply a process. Jesus spoke and the universe sprang in existence. When God said, let there be light, there was light. When God said, said, let the dry land appear and separate it from the waters, what did it do? Immediately it appeared. When God created the animals, immediately they appeared. When God created all the vegetation, immediately it appeared. When God created man, immediately. It was instantaneous. That's why when you even read in Matthew chapter 8, when the leper comes to Jesus, he comes approaching Jesus, which was something that the Talmud uh, taught that you couldn't do. The law of God taught you couldn't do that. But he put aside all cautions. He came to Jesus. He asked Jesus, would you heal me? You know what Jesus did? He gave him a new limb. Because in leprosy, you would have limbs fall off. He gave him a new arm. Just like when the high priest... That is in the garden when they came to take Jesus away and Peter pulled out his sword and he struck the the ear of the high priest. He wasn't going for his ear. He was going for his head. He's trying to cut his head off. He's trying to kill him. And Jesus told him to put his sword back in his sheath. And Jesus reached over there and he touched his ear and he healed him. And he gave him a new ear. That's creation. That's Jesus doing that. That's a creative act that only Jesus could do. You and I can't do that. We got people today saying that you can do that. And I'm thinking, well, if you can do that, then why do we have hospitals? Let's empty them. You know, let's go up there, go all down each room. Let's go to the nursing homes and let's get these people healed. All things, infinite detail of creation came into being. That is creative act. And again, what does he mean by all things? Well, it refers to organic and inorganic. It refers to animate and inanimate. It refers to material and spiritual, rational and irrational. Notice the last phrase of that verse. He says, nothing came into being that has come into being. And that means not one single thing existed apart from him. The word nothing, it's a negative conjunction. It means not one single thing. There can be no possible exception. If a thing was made, he made it. As a creator, he is, of course, superior to anything that he has created. And as we have pointed out that the gospel of John immediately sets out that Jesus is God in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, we'll say more about that in just a few few minutes, but let me have you to go to Colossians chapter one. And notice the creative statements that are made in Colossians chapter one, beginning at verse 15. Says here, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You say, well, that he didn't do certain things. No, it says all things. All things were created by him. Well, let's back up. Look at verse 15. It says that he is the image of the invisible God. The image word, the icon, it means the likeness. He's the resemblance. You remember when Philip said to Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Because he is the exact likeness of the Father. And then it says there that he is the firstborn of all creation. And what's firstborn mean? Some cults have jumped on this term and said, okay, well, he was the first thing created. Well, firstborn doesn't always mean first thing born, first one born. We have myriad of examples of that. What it does refer to is preeminence. It refers to him being superior to all things. If he is before all things, he is superior to all of those things. He was before they existed. Debbie Vine says the word is used in his relationship to the Father as expressing his priority to, his preeminence over creation, not in the sense of being the first to be born. Warren Wiersbe adds, the term firstborn does not refer to time, but to place or to status. Jesus Christ was not the first being created since he himself is the creator of all things. Firstborn simply means a first importance of first rank and then he quotes from psalm eighty nine twenty seven, telling us and reminding us that solomon was certainly not born first of all of david's sons yet he is named in psalm eighty nine twenty seven as the firstborn and just as we have looked in the past at ephraim and manasseh and saw that In the teaching of Scripture going back to Genesis, you would see who is the firstborn. But when you go into Jeremiah, you have it reversed, where the secondborn is referred to as being the firstborn. And what is going on in Scripture there is talking about preeminence. And that's what you have going on here in Colossians chapter 1. He is preeminent over all creation. And verse 16 and 17 shows us how he is preeminent over all creation because all things by him were created and he is before all of these things and he holds all things together. Now, that last phrase that he holds all things together, go to Hebrews chapter 1. And you'll see here in Hebrews 1 where it talks about Christ sustaining everything. Look at verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the, prof- to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. You'll notice there it says two things about him. It says in verse 2 that he made the world. Secondly, it says he upholds all things by the word of his power. Not only did he create the world, but he sustains it. These are some powerful statements, folks. These are not statements made about a mere man. These are statements made about Jesus, who is the God-man. And if you're still there in Hebrews, let's look at verse 10. And you have to understand... in as to what he says in verse 10, is still playing off the context of what he has been saying, showing that Jesus is superior. 
And the context of verse 8 tells us that he says, but to the son. And we'll come back to that verse in a minute. But go to verse 10. Notice what he says. He says, and you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will become old like a garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will all be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. And there's teaching another truth about Jesus, that he is immutable. You see here from the teaching here that he is creator God. And that Jesus is the creator verifies his deity because God is portrayed throughout the Bible as being the creator. We don't argue the deity of God. We see him as creator. We see him as savior. We see his mighty acts. We see his attributes. But what about Christ? Equal with God. Jews saw it. Jews heard what he said. We've seen it in the gospel of John as he made those statements. He is Lord of the Sabbath. It's not subject to what man says. Subject to what the word of God says. And he perfectly did the will of the father. Frankly, folks, that's enough information for me. But the great thing about it is it doesn't stop right there. You feel skeptical? You feel like you need more information? Well, there's a ton of information. Let's look at a second area. Not only did he create, and this shows his divine activity, but notice also that he forgave sin. If you're here today as a child of God, you're only a child of God because Jesus Christ paid for your sins on the cross. And that he saved you. And not only did he do all that, he drew you to himself. You weren't looking for God. You weren't looking for Christ. You love him only because he loved you first. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You could not choose the Father. You could not choose the Son. You could not choose salvation on your own. You needed divine assistance. Because when you're dead in trespasses and sins, you're unable to respond. We know that death refers to that. We experience death. We see death. We see people that die. And they cannot respond. No matter how much you want them to, they cannot respond. They cannot come back to life. You, as being dead in trespasses and sins, are unable to change that condition. You cannot change that by praying a prayer. Jesus has to change that condition that you have. And he does that. Go to Matthew chapter 9. And notice the scene that's before us. Begins getting into a boat. Jesus crossed over the sea. He came to his own city. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God, who had given such authority to men. If you look there in verse 2, when he says your sins are forgiven... That word that he uses means to send away. The sins are sent away from the sinner so completely that they shall never be found again. They're thrown in the depths of the sea, according to Psalm 103. As far as no one can possibly bring them back. As far as the east is from the west. Only God is able to send our sins away in this manner. 
you know, they did the sacrifices in the Old Testament, and none of those sacrifices took away sin. All it was was an atonement for sin. They had to keep doing the sacrifices over and over and over again. But Jesus, he offered himself one time, never to be repeated again, because it was a perfect sacrifice. And if he wasn't God, then he couldn't offer himself. And God would not accept his sacrifice if he wasn't God as well. And here, let me just help you understand this. We're not talking about two gods here. We're not talking about, well, God the Father is God and God the Son is God and the Holy Spirit is God and they are three gods. Well, that would go against other truths of Scripture. Deuteronomy 6, 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, one God, but one God existing in a form of plurality. That's what we get from the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, Elohim, God. The term that speaks of a Singular God existing in some form of plurality. And then as you read through the Bible, just a casual reading of the Bible, you find the same three persons possessing the same attributes, the same characteristics. The very things that we point out that are true about Jesus are true about God the Father and true about God the Holy Spirit. They share in these attributes, not three gods. Jehovah's Witnesses really mess up on John 1.1, don't they? When they throw in there that the word was a God, what have they just created? They're no longer monotheist, they're now polytheistic. They believe in more than one God. And you ask them, say, do you believe in just one God? They say, yes, but, but when you put in here a God, is Jesus now another God? I mean, that's what you're creating here. And folks, let me just point out to you, when they put in that indefinite article, there's no indefinite article in Greek. Uh, they're creating something here that doesn't exist. And besides, the subject of the verse is the word, the Logos. Look with me at Luke 7. You find another situation here where Jesus forgives sin. Another account, another story. And here in Luke 7, Jesus says to Simon, He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Verse 40. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. One denarii was one day's wages. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered, your, I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Only God forgives sin. And that's who Jesus is. He is the God-man, the one who became flesh. You've been listening today to a message called The Deity of Christ, and it's made available today on one full-length audio CD for a gift of $5. To receive your CD, call us today at 904-651-3351. If you'd like to download the free MP3 from our website, you can visit www.changedbygrace.org. 
I'm Pastor Steve Herford. Thank you for listening. And join us again next time as we study together from God's Word.